Here we go with another installment of Banker with a Beer presented by Northwestern Bank. I'm Scott. Across the way, as always, is Jerry. Jerry, how's it going? Great day today, Scott. We have a awesome guest. We have a equally awesome beverage, but there's a little story behind that, but we'll get to that in a second. Outstanding, and, uh, and I think this is going to be a, an intriguing conversation today because it's something that people may not think of but as soon as we bring up the topic it's something that uh, a lot of people had front of mind for a long time and a chance for us to get sort of a behind the scenes idea of of really the whole story correct yes uh our guest today is john bailing he's the president of weld riley uh, a law firm here in town uh but one of john's big claims to fame is his i guess integral part of the uh development and use of the sand mining industry in western Wisconsin. And I think that's a, a wonderful tale in terms of, of its growth and it's flourished and, and where it's gone to right now. And uh, he was definitely involved in uh, that process. And to get his insight, I think, was going to be a, an incredible, in- interesting conversation. So, uh, John, welcome on board. Welcome, and thanks for having me, gentlemen. Well, and to lubricate the conversation, this is where the story comes in. So, so John made a request for, for a very specific light beer. And uh, for those of you who listen to this program, my, um, my enjoyment of light beer is, is marginal at best. And, and I, I'm being very cheeky and making, making a pivot here. And, and Scott, you've been in the program long enough that when most people say light beer, my first go-to is... Uh, Cezanne. Cezanne, right. So we have found a Cezanne. Ah, see, you thought you were going to get me there. Yeah, so but you, you, I thought you were napping <laughs> over there. So so we have, this is arguably uh, the best American Cezanne that is out there. It's Boulevard Brewing Tank 7. Um, we've had the last couple of weeks, we've had, uh, we had a Cezanne or two from Belgium, which is probably some of the best in the world, but this is a fabulous beer. So um, John has been gracious and at least uh, giving this one a, a fair shot so uh i'll pour the beer and you can bring john on board all right so the uh, boulevard tank seven american saison will be poured and as jerry does that let's get john into the conversation and uh, john will talk a lot about uh, uh, the sand mining industry and what have you but uh, let's find out more about you where are you from and a quick tale of of what led you into the legal field sure um, i'm originally a farm kid from cumberland i'm always proud and Excited to talk about that. Um, as as part of how I got to where I am, uh, by way of background, I spent 10 years working for both a U.S. senator and a governor. Uh, it was uh, very formative. One of the, the governor I worked for was uh, none other than Governor Tommy Thompson, uh, a tremendous governor and also one of those just individuals. Uh, the governor's now 83. I still text or talk to him weekly, and he's just such a such a, a great leader, was a great governor, uh, most recently former president of the UW system, of which I've got some experience with. And so just a, a, a tremendous person to work, work with when you're a young person. Uh, after doing that for 10 years, moved b- back to Eau Claire in 1999. Uh, my wife had gone to school in the UW-Eau Claire. She loved the campus, loves it still today. Uh, this was probably about as far north as my wife was willing to go, you know, as a, as a Milwaukee girl. This is kind of the, the, the end of the line, per se. And uh, we've had a, a great 23 years living here in the Chippewa Valley, uh, particularly in Altoona. Uh, as a side note, I'm the city attorney for Altoona, live in Altoona, 
uh, very proud of, of River Prairie and everything that the city administrator, Mike Lott, and the city leadership has accomplished here. Well, gentlemen, let's uh, clink them and drink them. Sounds great. John, I, I hope, hope this one will, will, will not be too bad for you. Always a winner there, Jerry. Well, he's he's still here. He, you know, it's it's not bad. It's kind of interesting though. You have to move your mic in order to drink the beer, it, and and it's a little bit like a, uh, the mic is a little bit like when I when I um, do some recreational flying. Okay. Except you're never drinking when you're doing recreational <laughs> flying. So now it seems very odd to lift that mic and have a drink, but. But, but, what the but, heck? But, but, John, you're a man of many talents, and I have no doubt that you can handle the, the, the discussion and the beer consumption simultaneously. New, new talent here today, Jerry. Hey, one of the quick thing there is we, we set the, the foundation here. Uh, you, you said you grew up uh, grew up to the north and whatnot in Cumberland, but uh, what sort of sparked the interest in, in <laughs> becoming an attorney, being a lawyer, uh, doing uh, – briefs and whatnot what 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 sparked that it was i you know look at it uh, akin to an insurance policy so uh former governor tommy thompson had said when i was i went to work for him at the age of 20 and he said john one thing you always want to do in this business is you always want to have a backup plan and he strongly encouraged the staff to get master's degrees you know get advanced degrees get law degrees so i, I took his advice you know and uh i had 10 great years in government service um, but it was great advice and became a lawyer, uh, after my time in state service. And it was, it was good advice and it's, it's been a great ride ever since. Now, obviously that, that background in government kind of assisted you in, in this next process. So when the, well, let's, let's start about maybe just a little bit of the history of the sand mining in Wisconsin. I mean, they've been, they've been mining sand in Wisconsin for, for many years prior to the, the frack signing. Um, so what from your perspective what kind of when were you first aware that oil companies and things were looking at wisconsin uh to provide sand in a in a really big way great question you know and, you, and you're right uh, sand mining in wisconsin has happened for for well over 100 years uh in fact i'd you know i'd sat through a, a hearing in Oak Park county when we were working for an initiative for a company known as High Crush, and one of the county board members said, well, this, you know, sand mining is just so new to us. And actually, if you drive down the river, you know, just down Claremont, uh, and you take a left, and uh, lo and behold, there's a, a small sand mine that's still in production today, has been there for years. And, you know, people just, they, they aren't always aware about you know, how important mining has been to Wisconsin. So sand mining's actually always been here. It just took a, uh, you know, almost like a uh, sand mining on steroids when the frack boom hit. So I, I first, you know, got introduced to the, you know, the frack discussion uh, right around 2011 at a family member uh, over Menominee right off of Highway 29. If you drive into Menominee, you'll see, you'll see the mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, that mine is, uh, my family still lives there. You'll still see the house. It's a hundred year old, you know, family farm and, you know, Fairmont originally cited and permitted and got that sand mine moving. One of the, you know, early modern age frack sand sites in Wisconsin. And so I represented my own family and helped them with the royalty agreement. 
so when it started off, I think it, it was kind of a novelty, and I think around here it's like sand. I mean, this is like stuff you get in your backyard. I mean, this isn't gold or platinum or whatever. This is sand. You go to the beach. It's you know people moving it around. It's it's no no big deal. Um, for those of our listeners who might not know, what made Wisconsin sand so desirable for the oil industry? Great question. So, uh, as a lot of people know, Wisconsin was you know at one point a uh, we're at the edge of the ocean, you know, uh, back thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And it was because we were essentially a, on the edge of an ocean. We had we had waves as they would lap, you know, time and time again over the uh, crystalline silica. And that lapping would actually make it very, very round. And at the same time, it happened to be a, a material that was immensely tough. And so what you have is you have a... a a material that's very round, and it's also very durable. And I kind of compare it to uh, shooting out of a gun. If you're shooting a BB gun, and you shoot a deformed BB, leaves your gun, and it's going to go awry. Whereas if you're trying to manipulate a, a material, a piece of sand, and it's perfectly round, remember, you're sometimes going five miles down, and then taking a right or left-hand turn going three miles, horizontal fracking. So if you have something that is perfectly round, it's far easier to manipulate it and get it where it needs to go if it's got that perfect roundness. Additionally, when you put something down in the earth, five miles down and three miles across, immense heat, immense pressure. And so the sand gets injected into the fissures of the earth and then sits there to hold open the frack. And so it's subjected to an uh, incredible pressure you know, just imagine the, the immense amount of pressure that is pushed on those small sand pebbles. And it's because of the, the incredible, uh, you know, tensile strength of our sand is those two very unique qualities make it, you know, sought after worldwide. So you start with this kind of the smaller operation in Menominee. And then I just remember in that era, all of a sudden, within like two or three years, it seemed like sand plants were going up all over the place or permitting processes were going on. What was happening at this point? And then what was the what was going on in Madison at this point as all these people started coming into the western Wisconsin and saying, we want a piece of this? Right. Uh, a lot of people have, have compared it to, you know, a gold rush style mentality. And I think that was true. You know, all of a sudden you had, you know, farmers whose property were essentially their, you know, their, the farmland was oftentimes referred to as the farmer 401k. And now all of a sudden they've got land where somebody says, hey, we can do far better for you versus raising cattle or raising crops. You've got great sand material. And by the way, there's a large portion of Western Wisconsin that has great sand material. I mean, it's, it's an incredible deposit uh, it's deep, it's close to the surface, it's very clean, uh, very round, very strong. And so Wisconsin just happens to be blessed with a lot of mining qualities, a lot of mining materials in Wisconsin, but frac sand is certainly one of those. And so as it was, you know, a gold rush in terms of landmen, you know, people wanting to come in and do royalty agreements and people putting options on property and uh, it, you know, some of them failed because they were too outlandish in terms of price, but some of them turned out to be, you know, really good for both the operator uh, and for the farmer. You know, at, at the beginning, you had 
one sand plant, uh, and at the end you had 135 permitted uh, sand, frac sand mines in Wisconsin. And so it, it went very, very fast. Well, in, so two questions. First, how many of those 135 are actually built, even though they were permitted? Were they all built? or They weren't. They weren't. They weren't. A, num- a number of them were built. And, of course, some of them are just, you know, mine sites that are permitted that were maybe, you know, mined and hauled somewhere else. Some of those mines include everything, including the, the rail, including the, the dry plant and what they refer to as the wet plant. Now, what needed to be done or what was done in Madison to assist with this in a responsible manner? You know, the, uh, I think one of the key, ad, uh, key advantages to, a, you know, a, a young industry like that is that at the time, uh, Governor Scott Walker was the governor. Uh, he always commented there's, you know, there's a miner on the Wisconsin flag for a reason. He was uh, very pro-mining and very supportive of the industry. And I think that, you know, that helped the industry get jump-started in terms of when something's new, a lot of times the government slows it down or ultimately kills it. Whereas when you had a governor who was, you know, uh, pro-business, it really kind of helped, you know, uh, streamline permitting and work towards, you know, being pro-business and, you know, having a, a DNR that says, okay, how can we work to make this safe but also get to yes? And so by having a, you know, uh, a really good governor, I think in that time period, really helped this industry get started. And I know what you, you mentioned there about being, having it safe, because in, in, I know from the, from the banking standpoint, we had some role in these as well. But um, there was concern up front to say, what if this is a boom or, or, or whatever, what happens when the sand is taken out? You know, we don't want to have the, all these open pits that are left. Um, I know that there had to be protections put in place. What were those and, and, and did they work? Sure. The, the largest protection is it's under Wisconsin law. It's referred to as NR 135. And what NR 135 is requires, requires that whenever there's a, a mining pit permitted and opened, it needs to be bonded, you know, and certainly that's that's where the bank comes into play. And so, before any county can allow a a, uh, a place to be mined, that bonding needs to be put in place. That you know, that either cash or a financial guarantee or a surety bond that says, "Hey, if something goes bad, you know, there needs to be money left over to close the hole up." So there's there's always been that financial guarantee. Where the industry got into some trouble with this is that the the financial guarantees just weren't big enough. You know, uh, initially the you know the the bonding just wasn't enough to cover um, cover covering the earth back up. And so certainly when I look at the you know the very first bonding permits to the multi million dollar ones I see today, uh, it's it's changed. And certainly the as the numbers improved the the you know likelihood of not running into a problem of reclaiming it that went away what you know and i'm going to ask you a little about what it was like at, at the peak and the, the impact at least i saw it on the banking side was was phenomenal it wasn't just the sand ma- plants coming in it was them hiring many people for sometimes 
double or triple wages of what there there were around around here, which you know which which was dramatic. And then you needed infrastructure. So then railroad lines were built or were rebuilt that had been sitting idle for for many years or had been allowed to kind of you know uh, disintegrate a little bit. And all of a sudden they they were state of the art with the weight and everything else. And I mean I remember in Chippewa Falls there were. Um, you know, discussions about the, the trains would come through and there'd be 20 minute waits. And I mean, for, I'll say three, four years there, maybe from about 2013 to 16 or so, it was literally a boomtown mentality. Right. You know, and I always like to talk the story about when I first moved to Eau Claire in 1999, there, there was an initiative that the you know, Chamber of Commerce worked on, which was the, the Northern Rail Initiative. And a group of leaders from you know, multiple industries from around the area would all work, and we'd send letters to, you know, at the time, Congressman Dave Obie. We'd send letters to the U.S. Senate office saying, we need rail, we need rail infrastructure. Our, our rail is terrible. We need infrastructure, and we'd even love to have added capacity. And the rail companies would respond and say, we're happy to do it, but you're going to have to pay for it. We'd, we'd ask Congress for it, and they said, No. And so for years, we had two dreams in the Chippewa Valley. One was rail infrastructure, and one was a vibrant downtown. Well, by golly, we got them both. And you think about that, you know, as, as people look back and say, you know, what was, was, was the, you know, frack industry good? Was it, you know, bad? What legacy is it? One of the untold legacies of the, you know, frack sand facilities will be the incredible infrastructure in Wisconsin's rail system. And now that rail system is going to be in place for decades. And so it's just, it's the amount of money that not only gas and oil entities put into improving the rail, but the railroads for the first time started putting their own money into their own infrastructure. Imagine that, Jerry. And so it's, you had an incredible upgrade, you know, something in 1999 we thought we'd never have. Now we not only have great shape but we have expanded service all throughout the state and so now as frack sand you know is it's still a good business which we'll talk to you about a little bit but now you have other businesses that can take advantage of one of the greatest transportation methods in the u.s no we, we, we see that in so i live in, in chippewa falls and they've developed this what's called a transmodal facility so it's for those of you who are familiar with chippewa it's along business highway 29 old highway 29 along the river and they have trains that come in literally from they start from what's it uh, prince rupert british columbia and so they have it's a, it's a large transload facility where they bring in container ships from into canada and they'll take it all the way through Canada, Minnesota, through Chippewa Falls, and then down to Chicago. Well, it's where all, mostly all the things from Menards comes in. And so they unload it all along Chippewa Falls here, and that whole area between kind of the bluff and, you know, almost 29 and behind where Bowling Flu Plumbing is and whatever, are now all um, containers. And that's part of the legacy of these upgrades have happened to railroad service. We have some of the best railroad service, you know, in the country at, at this point for our, our, especially for an area of our size. That being said, the railroads, once they had this in place, were not afraid to charge. Right. And that, I think, kind of started 
the seeds of maybe the end of the boom. Am I correct on that, or that's the story that I've heard? You know, lots of factors. You know, uh, overbuilt capacity, the the rise and now maybe fall of brown sands. Uh, and what I mean by brown sands is, you know, the, there there is other types of sand in Texas. They refer to it as the brown sands. It's It's closer, so it's cheaper. There's, you know, not that massive transportation cost. But it's also inferior. So I think the fact you had, you know, you had brown sands, you had increasing costs on the rail side, you had a series of of factors, some overproduction, that made the industry really, really slow down. I always anticipated a slowdown. I mean, when you have a gold rush like anything, it can only last for so long. I always anticipated that all these companies would consolidate. I think the surprise is that it happened so soon. You know, now when you had lots of companies, now you're kind of down to, you know, really three or four major players in the industry that still have, you know, strong financials. I still own their stock. There's, you know, their stock is solid. They've got good businesses. And as I drive past the pump today and I saw gas at, you know, 359, I think they're going to do just all right in the, you know, in the upcoming year. But the industry did, uh, you know, it rose quickly, it, it fell quickly, but now you've got, you know, instead of, you know, returns on an investment of 20%, 50%, 100%, now it's kind of down to that standard, you know, company returns are more along the traditional 6 to 8%. So it ended where we thought it would ultimately, but it just went quicker than we thought in like a decade it went from i won't say boom to bust but certainly it's going it, the whole process here matured like almost every year was a whole different story right um so how many mines are currently operating i would have to do a, a count of that but i mean there, the the bigger operators are moving a lot of material uh, uh smart sand which is a company i was the former vice president of i still do their legal work today they're moving. They've actually got the largest uh, private railroad track in Wisconsin. Uh, they're moving an incredible amount of material. Uh, their st- their stock is doing very well. I think they've got a great business model. That's a company you see a lot of. Source Energy, which is primarily a, a shipper of material up into Canada. It's a, a company that's traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They're moving a lot of material out of Wisconsin. And so you've got a couple of companies that are uh, are vibrant. They've kind of taken on the, you know, they've acquired some of the smaller players, acquired some of the leases from the other players. So the 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 big has gotten bigger, uh, and the small kind of disappeared. So I know Texas is a long way, both in terms of distance and you know the the railway passage. And I'm certainly not an expert on on how railroads operate, but that became a a, a challenge. But there's also, you know, North Dakota, which also has a big field. Um, is that still uh, an active source, an active destination for Wisconsin sand? It is. Uh, North Dakota is very active. Uh, as I mentioned, Source Energy moves a lot of material into the, the western basin of, of Canada. Uh, and there's still a, a fair amount of frac sand that goes into natural gas on the east coast and, of course, down to Texas. 
so do you see it, the, the the boom returning, or at this point, this is just going to be kind of uh, industry that'll be solid, a little bit kind of fading the, in the background a little bit, but still going to be a, an important portion of the frac industry just going forward? That's a great question. You know, as I sit here today and we, we try to armchair quarterback what's going to happen, you know, here are a few things we know. We know that China has never fully recovered from COVID, and at some point they're going to get ramped up and use a lot more petroleum. You know, we know that Russia is exporting essentially zero petroleum because of the war with the Ukraine. America's trying to pivot to renewable energies, uh, but even Elon Musk, who's you know clearly America's a leader of alternative technology, has said we can't move away from petroleum as quick as uh, a lot of people would like to. It's here to stay for a long time. So when I, I look at those factors, uh, you know, I think the companies that are in it are going to continue to, um, as long as they make de- good decisions and stay relatively debt-free, I think they're going to continue to do well. Uh, in terms of the brown sands, you know, what we hear back from the people who do the actual fracking is that uh, it's a little bit like, a, you know, the northern white sand is still the best material. You still get the best results versus other types of uh, other types of material. Well, we got about five minutes, uh, five minutes here, and I'm sure Jerry's got a couple other questions uh, uh, concerning the the actual topic here. But a chance to take a little pause here, all right? Because we've been talking this one singular topic. I know you don't go to bed just thinking about this. What do you do for fun? Well, at the moment, I'm looking at a half full beer. So, <laughs> you know, like any good Wisconsin farm kid, um, I would I would say for, I've, I would hunt and fish all day long if I could. Obviously, that's not an option. So I, if I do get a chance to do some recreation, uh, I try to do a fair amount of hunting. I had a pretty incredible adventure uh, last August. I spent three weeks in Mongolia. Uh, we hunted the, the mid-Asian ibex. And so it was a it was a tremendous experience. What, what, now hold on, I, I'm a I'm an educated man here. Went to a, went to a private college. Well, that's debatable, Scott. But we'll talk about that later. What? what what's he talking about? What's an What's an ibex? It, it's my apple. It's a, they created an animal. It's the ibex. <laughs> now, now, any good University of Wisconsin graduate could tell you, an ibex is one of 39 goat species spread across Europe and Asia. And so an ibex is a, you know, we've got the, uh, the North American, you know, billy goat. And Europe and Asia have a number of uh, large horn ibex, which are, you know, uh, trophies. They're very majestic. People confuse them for members of the sheep family because of their size. But an but a ibex is a, um, it's uh, the ibex we hunted probably get up around 300 pounds and they're they're a mountain species. They're very smart. They're very difficult, and they live in live in high altitudes. And uh, I think we said before we started here, you've done uh, did some recreational flying. Is that uh, correct? A little bit. In my background, both both my dad and my brother were pilots. Uh, I've done some flying as well. When I worked for Governor Tommy Thompson, I, I was I was able to actually fly right side and log time. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I do enjoy a you know, little recreational flying in my past. So you've got a you've got a problem there when you're when you're at a, a cocktail party. What do people want more? Free legal advice or to see if they can get on the plane? You know, I always have this discussion with my wife. There's a website dedicated to this that if <laughs> if 
if the pilot has a heart attack, am I going to be able to get that big 747 down? And it's debatable. So I'm going to say, eh, you, you, you know, you don't come to me for, for air advice. <laughs> I think I can maybe get the 747 down. Hopefully we never have to figure it out. But in terms of legal advice, that happens 24-7. Well, John, I mean, this is a, a great conversation. I mean, th- th- we're, I know we, we, we've talked offline about kind of the places you've been in the world, not just as a tourist, but also as, as a, a sportsman, which would be a whole different conversation we could have. Um, but I guess rather than, than open that up, uh, we'll probably leave it, pause that here. But I just want to thank you so much for your, uh, your candor and kind of giving us the, the arc of the sand plant industry or the sand uh, fracking industry in Wisconsin. I think it's a great story and I appreciate giving us the opportunity to, to hear about it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And the, the Boulevard Tank 7 is, is actually a pretty exceptional light beer. So folks at home, if you're tired of Coors Light, give this a whirl. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for listening to uh, Scott and I chat over a beer today with John. If you like what you've heard, please give Banquet with the Beer a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank site, or wherever you listen to the podcast from. Banquet with the Beer is sponsored by Northwestern Bank, building stronger communities where people matter.